Welcome to the Cloud or Not podcast. My name is Andreas and you're listening to volume one of the AWS to go series. Get started with AWS or broaden your knowledge while walking, biking, running, driving, or whenever you enjoy listening to podcasts. There are three things I want to highlight before we get started. First, I want to welcome Stefan to the show. Stefan is a web and front-end developer. He just gets started with all things AWS, and that's exactly why we have Stefan here to ask questions on your behalf. So welcome to the show, Stefan. Thank you, Andreas. Um, hello, everyone, and thanks for having me. Perfect. We are very glad to have you. And um, second, the AWS To Go series is based on our book, Amazon Web Services in Action, published by Manning. We are currently in the progress of writing the third edition. The first chapters are already available for reading, so get a copy today and check out the show notes for details. And the third is AWS expertise is in high demand. For example, our partner TechRacer is looking for cloud consultants and cloud migration specialists. TechRacer is 100% focused on AWS and has offices in Hanover, Duisburg, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Munich, Vienna, Lisbon, and Lucerne. Check out the show notes for details about the open positions and apply today. So with all of that, let's get started. The topic for today is, what is Amazon Web Services? If you want to follow along, check out chapter one of our book, AWS in Action. So Stefan, so I know that you have got a little bit of um, get to know AWS a little bit already. So maybe before we start, so what would you say is Amazon Web Services? Uh, good question. Uh, AWS, I always imagine like this computer from someone else um, who's just hosting everything for me. Um, so this computer which lives somewhere else um, but is basically doing... Um, stuff which you could also do by yourself mm -hmm. okay very good yeah yeah so that's i think that's that's uh, gets it already very good so uh, i have a more official definition of what you have been describing <laughs> and this is from the national institute of standards and technology and and um, basically what they say is um, cloud computing is a model for enabling ubiquitous convenient on-demand network access to a shared pool of configurable computing resources so that basically means that over the, over the network, we have access to a wide variety of services that we can use to build whatever we are uh, going to build. And um, maybe to just get some terms right before we dive into what is Amazon Web Services. So um, typically, cloud computing offerings are divided into three different types. So there is public cloud providers. So basically, this is an organization is providing cloud services to more or less the general public. Um, so that is what we call public cloud. A private cloud is basically when you try to build um, your own cloud for your company, for your organization. So that is often a virtualization layer, maybe a container cluster or something like that. And it's uh, just used for inside the um, organization. And then... Yeah, you'll often hear the term hybrid cloud, which is basically a mixture mm -hmm. of both things. <laughs> so it's basically having your own staff on premises and also using a public cloud provider. And um, okay, so when looking at those three different types, it becomes 
uh, very obvious that Amazon Web Service is a public cloud provider because that Amazon offers that service to basically all of us um, that have a credit card and are able to pay uh, for it. Okay, um, but besides that, um, cloud computing is often classified into several cut categories. Um, for example, we have the one very popular part of cloud computing is infrastructure as a service. So that is, for example, I want to spin up a virtual machine on demand and the machine needs maybe a little storage and stuff like that. So that's infrastructure as a service. It feels like um, you get access to a data center and you're able to spin up your machines there without really touching anything. It's just a virtual thing. And then there's mm -hmm. one layer of abstraction above that is the platform as a service. And for example, you might have heard about Heroku or Google App Engine was very popular. Um, and this is basically a cloud provider providing the infrastructure um, for running your own applications in the cloud. So basically all you have to do is you have to provide your source code and then the, the cloud provider takes care of the rest. And then there is a software as a service, which is basically bundling those two things together. You get the infrastructure, but you also get the complete software running on top of that, um, providing the whole service out of the box. So examples for that are maybe Microsoft Office uh, 365 or Google Apps and stuff like that. So or Dropbox might be a good example as well. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the different categories. And with AWS, <laughs> so when you log into the management console for the first time, there's a huge list of services that AWS provides. I haven't counted them, uh, but it's really a lot. And um, they basically cover all those areas. So it starts with infrastructure as code, but they have platform as a service, they have software as a service, and many other offerings as well. So it's really a very broad uh, portfolio that AWS comes with. I've, I've seen that, yeah. <laughs> it's a huge <laughs> yeah. list. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit frustrating or frightening at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> at least that was what yeah, I've you, been feeling. As a beginner, you definitely feel kind of lost. Yeah, absolutely. But to avoid that, um, this is exactly the podcast episode for that. So we will dive into that um, later. Okay, so now we try to get some definitions right. And the, the problem with all those definitions is there's a lot of marketing buzz involved when talking about cloud. And so it's sometimes a little bit hard um, to, yeah, to get the right term for a thing because uh, it's often such overloaded terms that it gets hard to really d d discuss the details. But yeah. So what is Amazon Web Services? So um, Amazon Web Services, what I would say is a platform of web services. So that's in the name, yeah, web services that offer solutions for computing, storing, networking at different layers of abstraction. So we talked about that already. So we have really infrastructure as, uh, infra uh, infrastructure as a service offerings like virtual machines or Polox storage. And we also have higher level services like an object store, S3 is, for example, very popular. And um, we have even uh, things on top of that. For example, um, there is um, some, some, something like Dropbox provided by AWS as well. So there are really different layers of abstractions. And at the end, it all comes to <laughs> compute storage and network, right? Because that's what um, <laughs> all of IT is about. Okay, so... and. Another important concept um, of AWS is 
um, AWS um, runs data centers all around the world. So as a customer, uh, you're able to choose one of those data centers. They call it also regions worldwide. Mm -hmm. And you can basically select where you want to store and process your data. So that is, um, of course, important because um, of the latency, because the longer the distance, the higher the latency over the network. That's just physics. But it's also, of course, important because of um, laws, regulations and stuff like that. So, for example, uh, as Europeans, um, it makes a lot of sense for us to use data centers in the EU because then the GDPR and everything gets a lot uh, easier than, for example, when we uh, processing data in the US. Um, and the other way around is probably too <laughs> as well. So yeah. the data is, centers... Is this, sorry? So is this, is this um, guaranteed? So if I say, like, I want to choose, I guess Frankfurt is one of the data centers in Germany. If I choose Frankfurt as the data center that AWS is not shifting my data to the US um, because maybe Frankfurt is, like... Um, are currently out of mm -hmm. service or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a very good question. So yes, um, AWS is guaranteeing that the data is stored and processed in the region that uh, you are selecting for the service. Um, there, are, there are features that allow you to move data around mm -hmm. <laughs> between different uh, regions. Um, but that's always something you have to configure and enable yourself. It's not something that happens uh, magically in the background. So give, let me give you an example. For example, um, as 3D object storage has a feature to replicate data from one region to another automatically for uh, fault tolerance, uh, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but that never happens um, automatically. Um, there are a few areas, very, very few areas. Um, for example, the machine learning <laughs> stuff. There are some yeah, very specific areas where you have to opt out of something like this, but that's a very, very rare uh, case. So in general, it's, um, it's definitely true that AWS does not transfer data without your knowledge to other regions. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Okay. So yeah, the different regions are very important. So it, with the regions, it's a little bit like with the services that AWS provides. They're adding more and more regions every year and the number of regions grows and grows. So actually, I lost count about the number of regions. <laughs> but I think what's important is, I think it's um, almost true that on every every continent, you find at least one region. So of course, there's a lot uh, in the US, in Europe, but there is also um, a region now in South, South Africa, in Brazil, in Australia, of course, the APEC region. Uh, the APEC uh, um, area is also covered with a lot of uh, regions as well. So, um, yeah, I think really the whole <laughs> the whole world is now covered with data standards um, by AWS. And um, what is important to know is um, all of almost all of those regions are just ready for you to use uh, with the click of a button. So that's really cool. It's really easy to just spin up a new virtual machine, for example, in Japan. <laughs> so um, that's that feels really like magic when doing that. Um, there are only a few exceptions to this rule. So there are a few um, data centers and regions that AWS um, offers only to U.S. government organizations. So that's, for example, nothing we can use out of the box, of course. 
and then the China regions are also limited because there's some legal stuff um, going on there as well. So those are also not available to everyone. But the others are just uh, available to, to all customers. Nice. So if I got that right now, um, AWS is this uh, public cloud. Uh, I can't repeat the definition from the National Institute. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> uh, this was a little bit complicated. <laughs> um, but it's like this public um, cloud service um, where I can host my infrastructure, um, like, I don't know, computing stuff, or I just can save my files there. Um, I can use it as a platform um, if I want to host my um, apps or whatever, or I really can just use it as this um, software as a service, you said, mm -hmm. um, where I, I don't know, I guess there are a lot of, I guess the most popular examples you hear, which are using AWS are software as a services like Office 365. I guess Netflix is also on AWS. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, but it, those are services that are not or provided by AWS themselves that are just the customers running their infrastructure there. So let me give you an example for a software as a service offering at AWS. One is Amazon Connect, which is basically um, a call center solution running in the cloud that you can just use. So basically you get a web overview and then agents can connect and take phone calls there. So that's a full solution for a specific problem. And mm -hmm. it's the software running in, on the AWS infrastructure and even connected with the phone lines. And that's um, available for you out of the box. So you don't have to install anything or write any code. It's just a um, yeah, ready to use solution that you can use software as a service ah, okay. offering. That's what I uh, meant by software as a service offerings from AWS. Okay, 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 got it, got it, yeah. Okay, but you're, you're bringing up a good question. So the, the question basically behind that is, what can you do with AWS? And so we, yeah. we already discussed that there are very um, a lot of different services that AWS provides. So the possibilities are almost endless, probably. But I want to go through a few very common scenarios uh, of what you can do with AWS. So, for example, the first one is um, hosting uh, an e-commerce shop, a web shop. Um, so what you need for that uh, is basically you need a server running your web server, basically. So, I don't know, uh, running your PHP files or what have you, or Ruby or what have you. Uh, you need a, a database, a SQL database, uh, typically. And then um, you also need... Um, uh, probably stuff to to um, publish or distribute static content like images, uh, JavaScript files, and stuff like that. And yeah. um, so, in the in the on-premises world, in the data center, you probably had uh, one or two or maybe three uh, virtual machines running um, that were doing that job. They were connected to the internet, and then users could connect to those machines. And you have been running your Apache or Nginx or what have you uh, on those machines and serving the requests. When you um, move that workload to AWS, so just to give you an example of what a typical architecture would look like is, uh, you would start with virtual machines. So that's infrastructure as a service offering called EC2. You can spin up your web, uh, your, your, your virtual machines there to run your web servers. So that is more or less similar to what you have in the data center. But then you also have, for example, 
um, a managed service providing a SQL database out of the box. So that's something that is different to running it on uh, on premises because AWS provides that service for you. The um, database service called RDS is um, making sure that uh, all the maintenance stuff of the database is taken care of for you. Um, you just have basically to provision the database. Um, then AWS comes with a load balancer, for example, to make sure that you can distribute incoming requests among multiple machines. And there is even DNS, so domain names and all that stuff um, coming as a service from AWS. We have a content delivery network that you could use to make sure that your static content is delivered to the users really fast, for example, for the product images of your web shop. So you already see that there are um, a variety of services that can work together to basically um, solve a solution, in, uh, provide a solution for, in that case, hosting um, an e-commerce solution, a web shop uh, on AWS. So that's one uh, example. Okay, so, so you mentioned um, domains for a second. Did I get it right that I can... Um, not only host all my data on the AWS and my web shop, but that I also can register my domain, which I would like to set up for the web shop directly through exactly. AWS. Yes. And the database is like, I set it up and I don't have to do manual back backups or anything of that. It's all taken exactly. care of. And that's a huge uh, benefit, especially the database part is um, very, very important mm -hmm. to make sure that, someone else is responsible for all that backup yeah. and restore functionality and nothing can go wrong with that because when you do it your own <laughs> and i've uh, done that myself um you have always the risk of losing uh, data very easily yeah. um yeah that's that's a good summary and then um maybe so that's the i think that's the most typical scenario so a web application a web shop running on aws right so we discussed that but there are um other um, scenarios as well. So um, my first touch with AWS was basically we were migrating the IT infrastructure of a small bank in Germany to AWS. Mm -hmm. And um, so what I learned about AWS at the beginning is that there is the concept of virtual private networks as well. So I didn't expect that actually, because back then, almost 10 years ago, all I knew was that you could basically buy virtual machines from a provider, but the virtual machine was just having a public IP address, and that was it. There was no networking configuration uh, controllable uh, with those offer, uh, offers typically. But with AWS, um, there is the possibility to define your own private network in the cloud. And this basically allows you to, let's say, lift and shift to migrate existing enterprise applications to AWS as well, because you basically are able to connect your corporate network with the private network in the cloud on AWS. And that's uh, another scenario, very common scenario for using AWS. It's basically extending your corporate network to the cloud, for example, by using a VPN gateway, or even there's something called Direct Connect um, to basically make sure uh, you're connecting a corporate network with AWS. And then you can run your workloads there as you have been running them um, in the on-premises environments. Mm -hmm. what, what, what was the concrete example um, what your uh, local bank was running in AWS then? Uh, so one example there was a, um, a very, I would say very typically Java enterprise 
uh, application with a um, Java server and then uh, Java clients connecting to the server. And mm -hmm. we, we were just able to move that uh, to the cloud. And there again, the database service was very important because again, the database uh, service allows you to provision a database in a private network that is only available within that private network, cannot be accessed from the outside in any way. Um, so that was um, uh, is also a very typical example for using AWS. Mm -hmm. um, maybe another example um, with, the, with, with AWS and cloud computing in general is um, what is very uh, interesting is that um, <clears throat> cloud providers typically bill you per usage. And that's what AWS does as well. So for example, for virtual machines, that means we are paying only for the time that the machine is running. So um, what this makes, uh, that, that provides, um, uh, or to, to make use of that is if you have something like batch processing, let's say, I don't know, at the, at the very beginning of the month, you have to calculate a lot of reports, for example, and you need a lot of compute power to make that happen. So what you can do with AWS is basically, instead of running a machine 24-7, you could only spin up a machine during the time where you do the batch processing. And instead of running only one machine, uh, you can basically start 100 machines um, only for an hour. And uh, it basically costs you the same as running one machine for 100 hours. So that makes mm -hmm. basically scaling out for a short period of time a very um, competitive advantage. And for example, for batch processing, um, this can be um, really interesting. And we have uh, implemented use cases like that uh, on AWS. So um, that's um, another example for uh, what you can do with AWS. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting because I guess in if you have like your own infrastructure in your company um, at home, then and if you have something like okay, we need this one time um, very huge, um, highly scalable infrastructure, then you probably need to buy service servers and stuff like that, um, and then the rest of the year or the rest of the month they are just standing in your cellar and doing nothing yeah um so this is really a cool thing absolutely yeah and that actually brings me to um the next question which is how can you benefit from using aws so basically the question why should you do <laughs> why should you use aws and i came up with a list of a few important things and i want to quickly go through that so um, I would say the first benefit of using AWS is that AWS is a fast growing and innovative platform. Mm -hmm. so, I, um, so I'm following <laughs> an RSS feed that lists all the announcements that AWS makes about all the services they're doing. And uh, where they basically announce small features or complete new services. And um, in 2021, I've counted through the whole list and it is more than 2,000 announcements that AWS made. That's so that's, that's, of course, very small features sometimes, but sometimes really new services. Um, and you see a little bit from that number that really a lot is going on on AWS and they are adding new services and features at a very high pace. And uh, the other thing is also 
they um, are growing their revenue uh, a lot as well. Um, so that means uh, you benefit just from the fact that the whole thing gets bigger and bigger over time, which also means they are able to um, reduce costs for things like data centers or machines and stuff like that. So um, I think that's an uh, important benefit. The other one is um, when you go to AWS, it's quite common that AWS provides a service for the problem that you have. <laughs> so for example, you might have the problem of sending mass emails to your customers. So there's an AWS service for that that makes sure you're not getting into the spam folder for the users. <laughs> or um, you have to store huge amounts of files, for example, and uh, you want to have a flexible way to do so. There's a service for that. Or you want to have a load balancer in place. So there's a service for that. So basically, <laughs> when I design an architecture on AWS, I'm, I'm going through AWS and looking for services that solve the problems that I have and just try to integrate them together. And that's a very powerful thing because you don't have to reinvent the wheel for typical things that um, many, many developers <laughs> have to accomplish and need to operate as well. So that's important. Then the other important thing is, um, as the name implies, AWS Web Services, you can control all those services over the web, which means they have an API that you can use um, to um and or to basically automate all the stuff that you're doing on aws which means you can basically spin up a whole data center with virtual machines and everything um with the click of a button by using and uh, making use of automation tools and that's very powerful so there's no need to i don't know press any buttons manually or stuff like that so you you, you could if you want to uh, use an api to automate all the things and that's a very powerful concept, and we will talk about that later in, in this series a lot. The <laughs> other one is, we touched that a little bit already, is the flexible capacity. So that's what we talked uh, when we talked about the batch uh, example. And um, so whenever you have workloads that are not uh, requiring the same amount of infrastructure 24-7, and what, what a public cloud provider like AWS allows you to do is basically you can... Um, scale your workloads based on demand and you are then um, reducing your costs during times of low load and you add capacity during times of high load and are paying for that only for that amount of time so think about for example um, applications that are used during office hours only so you can basically almost shut them down over the weekend for example or things like e-commerce, which is booming during Christmas and um, is uh, mm. on much lower load the rest of the year. So those are all examples for uh, workloads that can really benefit from that uh, scalability. And another one is um, the reliability. And that, that was basically, as uh, so I, I talked about that already. So. The first thing that I did with AWS is basically migrating IT infrastructure of the bank. And um, the reason why we came along AWS was actually because AWS provided multiple data centers uh, with near proximity, which means uh, it is very easy with AWS to spin up two servers in two data centers that are, let's say, a few kilometers away from each other. And by doing that, you can increase the reliability because in the rare case that the data center suffers an outage, uh, the other data center nearby can basically um, still handle the workload for you. 
And it's not only the infrastructure that AWS is building for failure, basically. It's also the services on top. So many services provided by AWS, they are just um, fault-tolerant by default, which means even if a whole data center fails, the service will stay operational and will be able to serve uh, requests. Um, so that is a really powerful thing that it's hard to implement a self-level of reliability yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, another um, another example is um, when using AWS, we touched that as well a little bit, is a um, very cool benefit is the, the global infrastructure. So whenever you serve customers worldwide, making use of AWS helps you to also spin up your infrastructure all over the world, which allows you to um, get low latencies, to make sure you comply with uh, regional data protection requirements and all that stuff. And <clears throat> for example, we uh, we've worked with a, con- a consulting client that is um, rolling out the same uh, infrastructure, the same application basically in different regions for different customers to make sure that they um, have are using a data center nearby actually. And the, the cool thing because of the API and the automation that we covered um, before is you can do the same thing uh, many times with automation, which means uh, if after you set up your infrastructure for, for one region, you can just copy basically that to another region very easily, which allows you to roll out your infrastructure globally with very little effort. That's another very cool thing about uh, AWS, I would say. Yeah, so if I... Like this, this one is very interesting. Like if we uh, look back on this example of this web shop, um, and if you have this like intern international wide web shop, um, then basically what you're saying is that I could host uh, my web shop for the U.S. market in the U.S. Um, and store all my U.S. customers there, while for the German market or the European market, I could. Uh, copy everything um, and host everything for the German market in Frankfurt, for example. Exactly. And uh, the even better thing is that the effort to manage this infrastructure in multiple regions is low when you use automation by making use of the API. So it becomes um, much easier than it has before when you had to provision Mm -hmm. service in different uh, areas. So yeah, I think that's a really important benefit. Okay, so I want to close the... There are other benefits, I would say, but I think we covered the most important ones. Um, so I'd love to jump to the next uh, part, which is an imp- an interesting question. Um, how much does it cost? <laughs> so how much does it cost <laughs> to make use of AWS? And the question... The, the, the most important question. Yeah, but the answer is very complicated. <laughs> I can tell you that in advance. <laughs> of course... So, but yeah, but let's start at the beginning. So, um, so overall, um, your AWS bill is similar to an electric bill. So basically, um, the services are built based on usage. So you pay for what you're using. So for example, you pay for the time the virtual machine is running. You pay for the storage that you're consuming, uh, or you pay for the number of uh, load balancers, for example. So you're only paying for the things that you're using. But the question is, how is the definition of usage? And that is 
different for every service. And there's basically a pricing model mm -hmm. for every service. Um, luckily, nowadays, there is a thing called the AWS pricing calculator. This is basically a tool that you can use, basically a very complicated form <laughs> that you fill out. And it basically gives you an estimate about the, the costs of an infrastructure. So basically, you can add something like, I have two virtual machines running 24-7. I have a database running. I need uh, so that much of storage, stuff like that. And then it calculates the number. Um, so that is a very helpful tool. I will <laughs> recommend at the very beginning of, <laughs> of this question and the section. Um, another important thing to know is that there's a free tier that AWS offers. So this is um, very different for the different services as well, but it means that you can use many of the services for free basically to test out, to, to play around with AWS, to get familiar with AWS. You can use the free tier. And within our book, AWS in Action, we are making use of the free tiers wherever possible, and it covers most of the examples we do. Um, and basically, to give you a few examples, so um, what you get is, for example, you get, um, um, uh, for example, a very small virtual machine uh, for free for uh, 715 uh, hours. <laughs> so, for example, that is included in the free tier. Or you get uh, 5 gigabyte of storage on S3, um, stuff like that. So there is... I'm unaware of this. Uh, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but I've signed up like my AWS account a while mm -hmm. ago um, without doing anything. And um, then I got myself an Alexa. Mm -hmm. And there they asked to develop some Alexa skills uh, at the mm -hmm. beginning. Um, and I'm not sure if it's through this Alexa developer account or maybe it's also included in a normal AWS account but that you have like free Lambda services yes. until a thousand requests or a million or something. Yes. The free tier is really, really um, complicated. So there are some yeah. of the free tier offerings are basically kept and only valid for the first 12 months after you sign up. And others like the one that you're mentioning, for example, Lambda, um, those are basically valid forever. You get that every month. So there are, there's a, certain amount of usage for free every month uh, forever um, basically so it yeah. depends really heavily on the service that you're uh, using so unfortunately it's a little bit frustrating to get your hand head around that but um, one way to make sure you're not um, um, surprised about an unexpected ADLVS bill one one thing that I can recommend is creating a so-called budget alert to keep track of your AWS and even of your forecasted AWS bill. <laughs> that is really helpful to avoid um, problems like that, for example, by uh, accidentally um, keeping a virtual machine running that you wanted to terminate or something like that. Uh, so that's something I can recommend. I will put a link in the show notes um, that links to how to do that. Okay, but, but yeah, overall... Um, uh, as we said, the, the services are built uh, per usage. And I want to go into the example that we um, had at the very beginning, um, a typical web shop running on AWS. So how are different things built? So let's start with the database. So with the database, um, you are paying for the storage that you provision, and you're only paying for the time the database is up and running. 
So that's uh, a thing, um, the thing for the database. It's very similar for virtual machines. Here you also pay for every hour, or basically it's every minute uh, of the virtual machine uh, running and you're paying for the storage that is attached to the machine as well. Then we have the load balancer. And with the load balancer, you also pay for every hour the load balancer is up and running, but um, you're also paying for the traffic that is going through that. Similar thing is true for the content delivery network, for example, for your uh, static content. Here you um, also pay for the traffic, but there's no fee for um, the, the hour or the minute here. So that's a different example. Or the, uh, when you store uh, things on the object storage, S3, you're paying for the storage that you use um, and you're paying also for the traffic that goes through that. So what you can see from this very simplified explanation is for each and every service, the building is a little different. So for some, you pay per hour. For some, you only pay for the data going through, for the requests, stuff like that. So that is um, different. But overall, the picture is you're only paying for what you're using. And if you shut down everything and remove all your resources, you're stopped paying for it. And I think that's... Um, a really big difference to running a data center <laughs> where you basically cannot <laughs> sell the whole thing and uh, shut it down for, for a few days or something like that. Yeah, so if I got that right, so I pay, for example, for the CDN only if someone is really using this web shop because then the CDN is providing, let's say, the mm. images. Um, but if there's no request to the web shop, which would be bad because... <laughs> you don't sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> but then I also don't pay for the CDN, exactly. say. But I would still pay, um, for example, for the virtual machines because this web shop still needs to yeah, be online. Exactly. In this, this example, when you use yeah. web machine, that is, uh, that is the case. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that is, but also AWS provides mechanisms to uh, scale the number of machines, for example. So basically, you could increase automatically the number of machines during times of high traffic and then decrease the number of machines uh, during times of low traffic. And then the same would be true. So when traffic increases, also the cost for virtual machines increase. And when it goes down, the costs decrease as well. So there are yeah different aspects to that. But overall, uh, think about an electric bill and you're basically paying what you're using. And that's the, the cool thing about uh, public cloud providers like AWS. Yeah. You mentioned that I could uh, shut down some virtual machines or um, activate mm -hmm. new ones. How fast could you <laughs> do that? Like, mm -hmm. if, is it more like I need to know on the weekend, for example, there's more traffic, so I need to, let's say, ramp up those virtual machines on mm -hmm. Friday? Or is it something which I'm, I don't know, we had just this promotion in one hour, there will be mm. a lot of traffic. Yeah, it's within minutes, basically. So you can scale up within minutes. Minutes even. Okay, that's... And that, there's a lot of uh, uh, details to that. We will cover that in another volume of this series, but um, it's possible <laughs> to increase that, I would say. It's it's very common to increase it within, I would say, 15 or 13 minutes automatically. And if you really play it hard, <laughs> you can do it within minutes and you can even try to forecast your load with machine learning, stuff like that. Uh, but it's really going in too much detail now, but um, there are options for mm -hmm. that as well. Okay, um, so um, the last thing I want to discuss in this series is 
um, so how do we interact with AWS? <laughs> so because I think it's important for the mental model of AWS, uh, what I have in my mind is that first of all, AWS provides a bunch of APIs to control the different services. So basically there is an API and REST API for everything. Um, but of course, we as a human, we don't want to talk with REST APIs. <laughs> so there are, of course, um, ways to interact with AWS, and I want to go through them um, a little bit. So the first obvious one is um, the web interface, the graphical user interface, and AWS calls it the AWS Management Console. And that's basically um, the web interface that allows you to control, to discover all the available services. And this is a very good way, I would say, to get started with AWS. So I would highly recommend using the management console when you get started um, to see basically, uh, to get an, a visualization of um, what AWS provides, the different resources that are available, stuff like that. It really helps to get an understanding of what's going on on AWS. Um, but I'd say it's important to know that there are other ways to interact with the API as well. And typically you uh, get to know them later when you dive more and more into AWS. And one important thing is the so-called command line interface provided by AWS. So the command line interface, CLI, allows you to control AWS from your terminal. So basically you could type in commands like AWS EC2 launch instance, and then it will spin up an EC2 instance for you, a virtual machine for you. And the beauty of that is um, that when you have tasks to do and you repeat them over and over again to, to accomplish your task, it's much faster to do that from the terminal than while clicking through the management console. And of course, you can even start writing scripts. So that's, that's basically my own journey. I started with the management console, then I did shell scripts with the command line interface. And you can start automating things that you do over and over again very powerful and then um there is um cdks so that's basically uh, ways to integrate the um, aws apis into your applications so when you write for example java python javascript go ruby i think all the um, domain programming languages are covered those days and um, so that allows you to write a little more complex stuff than just bash scripts. <laughs> so that's powerful. And mm -hmm. um, I use it a lot um, um, when writing applications that make use of certain AWS services, which is not uncommon, but you could also use it to automate things um, as well. So coming more from the ad administrative perspective. And last but not least, the concept that we make uh, use of in the AWS in Action book, and we'll also go through that in, the, in this series, is infrastructure code, which basically uses a blueprint to um, manage your, your cloud infrastructure. So that basically is another layer of abstraction, and um, it describes the infrastructure uh, that you want to have, and then and translates that into API calls in the background and sends them basically to the AWS API. So this is another uh, powerful way to interact with AWS and with the different uh, services. And quick question to that. Is this blueprint stuff something um, where I need to know coding? Like, is this in a 
um, programming language or is this like in a UI or how can I imagine that one? Mm, think of it like a descriptive language. Mm -hmm. So a little bit could compare it maybe to HTML <laughs> a little bit. So um, you're describing um, what you want to get basically. So it's not really a programming language. It's more like um, it's more like a configuration file or like an HTML file, basically. Okay. So I wouldn't say it's really programming. It's something in between, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Nice, but it's not, nothing I can do in the management console. Or is there? No, yeah, no. It's... Basically, you, you spin up an editor or an IDE no, and okay. um, mm -hmm. type in YAML or JSON files or similar okay. uh, file formats. Okay, so um, yeah, that's basically, um, uh, so we have been going through what is Amazon Web Services, and I think we uh, covered the most important um, aspects of that. So that's actually to kick off our AWS to go series. Um, so as I mentioned, this, this was covering the first chapter of Amazon in Web Services uh, in action. Um, so I, I hope... Um, yeah, you enjoyed the format, Stefan. I definitely did. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I learned a lot today, and I'm really looking forward to the future episodes, uh, learning even more. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and to you, our listeners, um, so did you learn something new by listening to this podcast episode? Then may I ask you for a favor? So first, please tell your friends and co-workers about the Cloud on Old podcast, and also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our work on Cloud on Out is possible only because of your support. Therefore, we want to thank Alan Leach, Alex Dupree, Anthony Wrighty, Christopher Hipwell, Jabians Franz, Jason Chorty, Jeff Finley, Jens Gehring, Jay Hortley, Johannes Krumbrück, John Kulkin, Jonas Melquist, Georgia Matinka, Camille Oboril, Ken Snyder, Ross Mohan, Simon Naga, Satendra Sarma, Sean Toledando, Thorsten Höger, Todd Valentine, Victor Granu, and all anonymous supporters. With your help, we can continue to produce independent and high-quality content focused on AWS. If you're not already doing so, please consider supporting us with a one-time or recurring donation as well. You will find all the details in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye.